Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Helix and Gene Medical Wellness Podcast. As always, I am your host, Sam Baluch, CEO of Helix and Gene. Today, co-hosting with me is our very own Lori Graham, our Director of Functional Medicine here at Helix and Gene. I want to introduce our next guest today. He is a very, very, very special guest. We have Dr. Stephen Gundry, world-renowned heart surgeon and a three-time New York Times bestselling author. His work is known for Diet Revolution, The Plant Paradox, The Plant Paradox Cookbook, The Plant Paradox 30, his newest book, The Longevity Paradox, How to Die Young at a Ripe Old Age. This is a phenomenal book for those who are really looking to understand how to correct what's going on inside their bodies through nutrition. He is the founder and director of the Center of Restorative Medicine, treating patients seven days a week. He is a co-founder of his own supplement line. And Dr. Gundry also hosts his own podcast show. He is a graduate of Yale University. With an introduction like that, there is nothing more I can say. So without further ado, Dr. Gundry, welcome to our podcast. How are you? It's an honor to finally meet you. (laughs) So Dr. Gundry, um, again, it's a pleasure to have you here. And the first question that I really have for you is, as a surgeon, as a traditional doctor, what was that aha moment that woke you up to nutrition and understanding that this is the path to go? Well, uh, the aha moment was actually now over 20 years ago when I met a gentleman by the name of Big Ed uh, from Miami, Florida. He was in his late 40s, big fat guy, that's why he's named Big Ed. And uh, he had inoperable coronary artery disease. Uh, All the blood vessels in his heart were so clogged up that you couldn't put stents in, you couldn't do bypasses. And he had gone around the country uh, looking for idiots like myself to take his case on. And there's a number (laughs) of idiots like myself. And he spent about six months going around the country carrying his angiogram, the movie of his heart, um, blood vessels around. And everybody who saw him said, nope, nothing we can do for you, you know, sorry. And I am in that circle where people go to find a surgeon who's an idiot who will take on hard cases. And so he came to me after about six months of doing this. And I looked at his angiogram. And I said, you know, I agree with everybody else. I'd love to take you on, but there's absolutely nothing we're going to do for you. And he said, well, yeah, that's what everybody says, but here's the deal. I've been on a diet for the last six months. I've lost 45 pounds. I went to a health food store, and I've been taking a lot of supplements, and maybe I did something in my heart. Now, this guy was 265 pounds when I met him. And I said, well, good for you for losing weight. Well, that's not going to do anything in here. And I know exactly what you did with all those supplements. You made expensive urine. You wasted your money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I really believed that. So he said, well, look, what do we got to lose? Let's do another cardiac catheterization and get a new angiogram. I said, eh. okay. So we did. And this guy in six months time had cleaned out 50% of the blockages in his heart. Gone. Now, he still had blockages, but, I mean, dramatically reduced. So I started asking him about, you know, what? well, okay, you know, what's this diet that you've been on? And tell me about these supplements. And the diet he described, I had, uh, uh, I'm old enough because back in the dark ages, uh, I went to Yale University and (laughs) 
was able to design my own major. And my major was you had to have a thesis. And my thesis was you could take a great ape, manipulate its food supply, manipulate its environment, and prove that you would arrive at a human being. And that was my <laughs> research for four years. And I wrote a thesis and defended it and got honors and gave it to my parents um, and went away. Became well, Big Ed starts telling me, you know, what he was doing. And I went, well, well, wait a minute. You know, that's my thesis from Yale. And he starts telling me about these supplements he's taken. I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I'm world famous for protecting the heart during heart surgery and for protecting hearts from damage and a bucket of ice for heart transplant. And I designed all this stuff that you put down arteries and veins to protect the heart. And the stuff I was putting down arteries and veins to protect it, you're swallowing. And it never occurred to me to swallow the numb stuff. So <laughs> I, was, I was a big fat guy. Uh, I weighed 228 pounds and I was running 30 miles a week, going to the gym one hour every day and eating a healthy low fat diet. And, uh, you know, I had migraine headaches, I had high cholesterol, I had high blood pressure, I had prediabetes, and I thought that was genetic. And right. So it wasn't. I, <laughs> I have the same genes that I had over 20 years ago, but I don't have any of those problems anymore. So I put myself on this program, and I started putting patients that I operated on on this program because I wanted them to avoid me in the future. I, you know, you know, okay, I'm going to you know, do some new bypasses on you, but I don't want you to clog them up anymore. So here's what I want you to do. And as very rapidly, uh, their other problems started to go away. Their diabetes went away. Their high blood pressure went away. Their arthritis went away. And after about a year of this at Loma Linda, uh, one morning, my, my wife still calls it Black Friday, I looked in the mirror on the way to work and I said, you know, I've got this all wrong. I shouldn't be operating on people and then telling them how to eat. I should be teaching them how to eat and then I won't have to operate on them. And I mean, what an, what an idiot as a heart surgeon. And so I designed my position and I, wow. yeah, I opened a, a clinic in Palm Springs and I said to people, look, let's play. I want you to take foods out of your diet. I want you to put foods in your diet. I'll send you to Costco or Trader Joe's. I want you to get some supplements. I'm not going to sell you anything. I don't want to do that. And we're going to draw blood work on you every three months. Um, insurance will cover it. And let's see what happens. And lo and behold, I've published a lot of papers on what happened. And in fact, most things that people think our family history or going to happen to them uh, are totally preventable and reversible by food and, and supplements. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fascinating story. And I, I love that you had such foresight that a person came in and even with such a background like Yale and being a world-renowned surgeon, you were able to hit the pause button and go, hmm. 
This yeah. is not working. I need to try something else. I, I love that. That is incredible. So I know myself and Lori, I know Lori, you are a vegan yourself, correct? A vegetarian. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things uh, Sam and I were talking about is we both like to um, try different things on ourselves. And I'm quite a bit older than Sam. So I've, I've, I heard you say on a podcast that you were a raw food vegan. And I had a phenomenal experience when I did it. Sam even went beyond what I felt in a more energetic kind of spiritual kind of way, I think. And I'd love him to share that. But I think there's elements of lots of different um, diets that I, I know for me, I've, I've brought in the best of everything. And I maintain a vegetarian diet that's very, very low in, in dairy, like mo more vegan. But, but you know, we, we like to kind of, I know for me, like, I'll eat a certain way, get a blood test, and then I know, okay, this is what I can do to change it up. So I'd love to hear, first I'd love Sam to tell you what his experience was. For me, I just felt really loose and my bones were adjusting. And it was like, it was really amazing. Plus my cholesterol went from like 230 to 189. I have no inflammatory markers, no big, you know, I'm not worried about that, but that was significant, especially since I was, Forging on soaked and raw, you know, soaked and sprouted nuts and seeds. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and, and I want to get into that soaked and sprouted seeds. But yeah, but tell I, them I, about your experience, yeah, Sam. So, so, Dr. Gundry, I'd love to get your take on this. So, I'm somebody who, for I've been in this field for 20 years, and uh, I, I, I'm a self scientist, I call myself. I put my body and my mind through all kinds of different techniques and uh, different diets and different foods and, and to see what kind of responses I get. I'm somebody who practices a deep kundalini yoga every morning. I meditate 20 minutes every single day. I've been doing this for 15 years now. I train very methodically. The, the, the method of our company is train your mind, change your body. It's something I'm a big believer in. When I switched to a, I went to, and, and, and I'm a little bit of an extremist, so I went right into the extreme world of it, and I went on a raw food, vegan, uncooked, and I, for about two weeks, I ate nothing but raw nuts, raw veggies, um, I took out dairy, everything, and what happened is I got all the great physical effects, right, that, that I was expecting. I lost a bunch of weight. My, my, my body felt great. I was energetic. But something started to happen, and my senses started to heighten tremendously, almost to a point where it was becoming a struggle. Like if I stepped outside, I could smell combustion in the air. My, my senses got so strong that it was, it was almost unbearable for me to continue that form of an extreme way of raw food, vegan eating. So I started cooking some of the stuff and I started maneuvering around it and, and, and I pushed it back into a point where I was able to tolerate this. Have you heard of anything of this sort? What's your take on something like that? Yeah, I'll give you a, a personal example with just my wife and I. Um, we did we did raw food for about nine months and quite frankly i think uh, had the the best health i've ever had and i'll tell you why we we don't do full raw food anymore in a minute but i don't know a few weeks into it maybe a month in it we were standing outside our back door and i said 
wow, do you, there's, you know, there's incredible buzzing going on. Do you hear the buzzing? And my wife, yes. says, yeah, you know, and, I, and, and we looked up and we had this flowering tree and there were, there were bees in it. And it was literally deafening the noise of the bees. Yes. And we're going, what the heck? We you know, we've had that tree there for years. We never noticed anything like that. And the bees have obviously been there, but it was, I mean, it was intense noise. That's exactly how I felt, yes. <laughs> and we, we also noticed that our, for lack of a better word, colors were more yeah. intense. <laughs> and it's like, wow, you know, you know, why the heck is that happening? So, yeah, uh, personal experience. Now, why aren't I a raw vegan anymore? Um, quite frankly, there's actually very few long-term raw vegans. Even most of the long-term raw vegan chefs have stopped. It's almost impossible to sustain. Yeah. Um, and quite frankly, one of the things that made us human, which uh, is fascinating, is fire. And we're, uh, for instance, a gorilla has to eat 16 pounds of leaves every day to maintain its weight. I got news for you. I can't eat <laughs> <laughs> Every day. And many vegans have to maintain their weight. Raw vegans have to maintain their weight by eating a whole lot of nuts um, or a whole lot of honey and fruit. Yeah. And quite frankly, I can tell you that that in the long run is, is really bad for your health. It really is. And, and I travel a lot. I lecture. I you know present my work at, at conferences. And just, you know, going to a, a grocery store when you hit a city and, and yeah. buying, you know, you know, 12 pounds of vegetables and taking it back to your hotel room and carrying your Vitamix around, it, it, it just, it wasn't worth it. Um, no. yeah, right. so, there you go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, did, did I feel great? Yeah. And, you know, were my senses heightened? Yeah. But. Well, and you know, you have a huge audience, obviously, and you know, everybody knows your position on lectins. You know, I'd love you to go into, because we speak about this with our patients, with our wellness program, is the whole lectin, uh, leaky gut, and autoimmune connection. Yep. Could you explain yeah. that? You know, most of, our, most of our listeners are pretty intelligent people. We do have some professionals, but you know, they hear me talk about it. It's great to have a doctor you know, really explain it more functionally and biochemically? Well, you know, uh, Hippocrates said 2,500 years ago that all disease begins in the gut. And he didn't have the human microbiome project. He didn't have um, anything that we know now. And yet this guy nailed it. He, if you, you know, if you had asked me even 20 years ago about leaky gut, I would have laughed you out of the room. Now I... I I think, and I've written papers that I think support my thesis that most autoimmune disease is caused by leaky gut. And that when we document that leaky gut is repaired by what we recommend to do, that that autoimmune disease goes away. And I published a paper two years ago in Circulation, which is the American Heart Association Journal, taking 102 patients with autoimmune disease, biomarker proven, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, MS, uh, you choose the autoimmune disease. 
And in six months time, uh, 95 out of 102 were negative biomarker for autoimmune disease off of their immune suppression medication. So 94% success rate, not bad, I'd say. And we continue about, my practice is about 70% autoimmune disease now. And uh, for instance, so just yesterday, we we're working with a woman with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And in three months, uh, one of her markers, uh, she had both of the anti-thyroid markers positive. One of them is one point away from normal and the other is uh, reduced at half in three months. So we're pretty much you know, close to turning her off. Getting back to lectins, the plant defense system uh, does not want to be eaten. A plant doesn't want to be eaten and it doesn't want its babies eaten, its seeds. And plants have to have a defense against that. And plants have developed biologic warfare, chemical warfare. And lectins are part of the plant defense strategy against being eaten. And they're proteins that look for specific sugar molecules to stick to. They're called sticky proteins. And those sugar molecules line the lining of our mucous membranes, our mouth, our nose, all of our intestinal tract. They line the linings of our joints. They line our blood vessels. They even line the space between nerves where one nerve talks to the next nerve. And I think this is not by accident that plants develop these proteins to interfere in those areas. And uh, Dr. Fasano from Johns Hopkins a few years ago proved that leaky gut is caused by gluten, uh, which is a lectin. Uh, attaching to the wall of gut and flipping a few switches and breaking the tight junctions that hold everything together. And when that happens, lectins and other particles of bacteria get through the wall of the gut. And about 70% of our immune system lines our gut. And it's there because that's where the mischief is possible to come through. And I won't bore your listeners, but um, Dr. Lauren Cordain, a number of years ago, postulated that we identify uh, whether a protein is good or bad or foreign or known to us by reading a molecular barcode on that protein. And I wrote about this in my book. They're called toll-like receptors. And so it reads a barcode, and if it determines the barcode, uh, you know, is an illegal, um, it, it actually scrambles the fighter jets, go to threat level five, and go looking for these troublemakers. And lectins look a lot like other proteins in our body. They look like our thyroid gland. They look like some of the lining of our blood vessel and so on. And so when our immune system is activated and then it sees these proteins that look very suspicious, look very much like a lectin, maybe not quite, it says, boy, you know, I better not take a chance. I better attack this thing and we'll ask questions later. And yeah, it's, it's called molecular mimicry and it, it basically is friendly fire. So um, at least a lot of us now have come to the conclusion that autoimmune disease begins with leaky gut and an overreaction by our immune system. And I think lectins are a big piece of this puzzle. Um, and 
it certainly has worked very well for large numbers of people who have never met me and who've just, you know, followed the guidelines and their autoimmune disease goes away. Yeah, so so I really this is this is fascinating and, and I love your explanation and how you put it all together beautifully. You know, you talk about the gut and and, and obviously that's a huge avenue of where your work is. Um I talk about the brain and it's a huge avenue of where, where my work is. And, you know, you talk a lot about the gut and I talk a lot about the brain and we talk about how the gut, what connects the gut to the brain and that scientists are now figuring out it's, it's the vagal nerve, right? And that vagal nerve that, you know, the ancient shamans and, and the ancients have been talking about for years within the chakras and how it stimulates the central nervous system. And now we have this scientific approach today to the gut, to the brain. We can identify the vagal nerve. We can identify a vagal tone and how it raises and decreases based on um, foods and movement, which I want to get into with you in a little bit about your uh, take on gravity, training against gravity that you talk about in your book. But from a, from a nutrition standpoint, right, have you guys taken studies into this? Have you looked into uh, the connection of the vagal nerve and how it stimulates the central nervous system and how it connects the brain to the gut? And what are the importance of that? Can you just elaborate a little bit on this for me? Yeah, um, it's actually far more now than the vagus nerve. Um, the vagus nerve, we... Um, believed was the way the brain communicated to the various organs in the body, including the gut. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a few years ago now, it was discovered that for every one fiber in the vagus nerve heading from the brain down to the gut, there were nine fibers coming from the gut up to the brain. So it is a two-way street, but it is a very overloaded two-way street for the gut to talk to the brain not the other way around. Uh, and uh, one of the fascinating studies that people started wondering about this was uh, long ago, uh, we used to treat ulcer disease by cutting the vagus nerve. It was called vagotomy. And that actually did really help reduce ulcer disease. But so a large number of people um, in the 60s and 70s had their vagus nerve cut as part of this operation. Now, we don't do that anymore. But uh, so it turns out that studies were done looking at Parkinson's disease. And curiously, people who had their vagus nerve cut had a 50% less chance of developing Parkinson's disease than age match control. Well, that's weird. And so then they started to look at why that would be. And there are some fascinating papers that show that lectins can actually climb the vagus nerve up to the brain and actually hit the substantia nigra where Parkinson starts. Wow. Now, now, it gets even more interesting than that. And I, I talk about this in my next book, which is called The Energy Paradox. Uh, you can, if you look at Parkinson's patients, and we'll just use them as an example, and look at their gut microbiome, their bacteria. Their gut microbiome does not make hydrogen gas. Now, hydrogen gas, you know, the Hindenburg. And so 
our gut bacteria normally make hydrogen gas. And that hydrogen gas is actually incredibly important as a signaling molecule to nerves. And it turns out that Parkinson's patients have a gut microbiome that doesn't make hydrogen gas, and people who don't have hydro, uh, Parkinson's make hydrogen gas. And so we're beginning to now find an entire different thought process of how all those little one-celled creatures down in our gut actually communicate to our brain. And it may not just be the vagus nerve, but it actually is, if you will, text messages constantly to our brain about who's down there, what they think about things, and what, what gases they are producing to tell our brain what to do. I recently had Dr. Daniel Amen on my podcast who's, you know, one of the uh, great experts in neuropsychiatry. And he's pretty much come to the conclusion that most mental illness is not illness at all, but a problem coming from the gut and leaky gut and gut dysbiosis. And most of us, you know, smart people don't like the idea that little single cell organisms could control our thought process, could control our brain, but sorry, um, we're a really cool symbiotic organism, and we're totally, completely dependent on the proper function of that piece of us. And, and you're right, I think we'll, we'll come to the conclusion eventually that all these chakras are actually well-documented ways that various microorganisms now talk to us and control our behavior. And should you massage your abdomen? Yeah, actually. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's fascinating, as I show in the longevity paradox, exercise actually changes the gut microbiome for the better. Yeah. And meditation changes the gut microbiome. So the question is, you know, which came first? Did, you know, does meditation work because it changes the gut microbiome to a more friendly microbiome that then sends really cool text messages up to your brain to be happy and calm? Yeah. So it, it, it's amazing that you say that, you know, one of the teachings that we do here that I'm big on is I've had a lot of people come to me and say, can you teach me meditation? And there is no teaching meditation. You know, there, there, there is no one way to do any of those things. But one of the things that I have realized recently is that, you know, what, do, what can you connect with people to, right? Every single human being understands that they have a physical body. They all know that they have a gut. They all know they have organs. They all understand they have certain muscles. So if, and they all understand oxygen and breathing. So and they all understand that they have a spine and they have a brain. So I've taken a back end approach to this and I've come through teaching them proper movements done in sequential order with specific avenues of breathing done in sequential order that stimulate these physical things that you can actually connect to, whether you believe in spirituality or not. And it has a physical awakening to them. And once those 
physical awakenings actually take place and you can really feel them, whether it's through palpation, through motion, or through any kind of long periods of stabilization that stimulates these nerves to wake up, then the person can really measure their results now on a daily, weekly, monthly basis and see these effects. And when you couple that with nutrition, and one of the things I love that you just said in the text messaging aspect of the brain to the gut and, and being able to now communicate. Well, you know, that's essentially same thing when it comes to the breathing, right? When you breathe, you open up certain pathways along that nerve that maybe can open up a better pathway for the, for the right text messages to get across back and forth. Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I, I absolutely love that. So speaking of training, you talk about this uh, training against gravity, I, and I want you to really just give us a little bit of uh, explanation about that because um, I, it's it's really simple and it's very cool and it works. Well, yeah, it's it's fascinating. You look at the the blue zones around the world, and for your listeners who don't know about blue zones, blue zone the name was coined by uh, the journalist Dan Buckner, yep. and he described places in the world with incredible longevity. And one of those, the only one in the United States, is Loma Linda, California, where I spent most of my career. Yeah. In fact, I'm the only nutritionist who's actually lived in a blue zone for most of his career. And <laughs> people say, what do, you, what do you know about blue zones? Well, I guess I'm the only one who's ever lived in one. <laughs> um, and so all of these blue zones, and there's a number that I've added to his list and other people have added, live in hilly communities. Loma Linda actually means beautiful hill in Spanish. And one of the things that these people do is they walk these hills, whether it's Sardinia, whether it's at Chiroli, whether it's in Crete, whether it's in Loma Linda, whether it's in Okinawa, they walk up and down hills uh, every day. And uh, I, I talk about in the longevity paradox of fascinating Austrian study looking at, uh, they got a bunch of people, they wanted to see what exercise did in terms of walking up a mountain and right. walking down a mountain. And they had a cable car and half the group had to walk up the mountain and then ride the cable car down. And the other group got to ride the cable car up and walk down. And, you know, of course, everybody wants to be in the walk down group. And <laughs> And it turns, and you know, the, the of course, the study was going to show, yeah, you got to walk uphill. Well, it turns out you didn't have to walk uphill. The exercise benefit was identical, whether you went uphill or downhill, because if you're going downhill, you're breaking against gravity. And when you're going uphill, you're working against gravity. So it's actually working against gravity that has the health benefit. And it, so is that to our heart or is that more to our muscles? Like I understand as we age, obviously. Believe, I it, believe, it, believe it or not, it's actually because you're changing your gut microbiome. Okay. And turns out that there's some really cool studies in endurance exercisers that, remember we were all told that lactic acid, lactic acidosis by our muscle ache. No, it's actually not true. It turns out that bacteria love lactate. And you actually foster a bunch of bacteria that eat the lactate that you produce by exercising. And they, in turn, actually give you more energy. And it turns out you get more energy performance the more you change your bacteria. 
Uh, I got to know uh, Jack Elaine, who, in my opinion, is the <laughs> godfather of fitness. Absolutely. <laughs> and I got to know him in his later years. And Jack used to say that there's actually only two exercises that he felt a human being had to do for perfect health. And one of them is squats, deep knee bends. And the other one is push-ups or planks. And those two exercises use most of the muscle groups in your body. Yep. And, uh, and the nice thing about that is you can be your own gym. You can do that at home. Um, yep. And uh, the other thing that Jack taught me, and I think he was right, is that if it tastes good, spit it out. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You, in a former life, I used to be a competitive bodybuilder. And I remember I was doing my first show and I was backstage and I was the beginner. I was learning. I look at the guy who clearly was going to win the show and he's standing backstage, looks better than everybody. And I, you know, I'm, I walk up to him. I'm a kid at the point and he's a, he's a veteran. And I go, how, what's the secret? How do you look like that? He goes, if it tastes good, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so I guess he was right. Now, you know, all my, all my, all my people tell me, please don't say that because you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna think that, you know, the food you recommend to eat tastes terrible. That's not true at all. Uh, no, right, right, right. right that's so something my wife taught me. After yeah. you know, I met my wife, she taught me how to, well, she didn't teach me. She created the food for me because she's an incredible chef and understands nutrition is that, you know, how to make plain foods that are very good for you taste delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I've enjoyed, been enjoying it ever since. Um, I do want to, you know, you talk about the working against gravity and Jack LaLanne, right, in terms of push-ups, squats, and planks. And, and I, I wholeheartedly, as someone in this industry, agree with that because the majority of what I've created in the system I was telling you is all body weight motions against gravity that combine those movements in a sequential order. And, you know, it, it's one of the things that we do with our elderly patients. One of the advices I give anybody over just the age of 60 who even moves really well, I tell them the simple practice every single day, roll them out on the floor, lay down and get back up 10 times continuously teach your body and your nervous system that repetitive motion because it works against gravity. It teaches your body how to neurologically continuously practice that formation and it never forgets it and it warms up the joints and it raises the heart rate. So there you go in a nutshell. There was a fitness test where you have to lay, sit on the floor cross-legged and get up without your arm. Without, yep. Yeah. And that's one I really like to do. So with regards to Alzheimer's, and you know, this is a conversation, you know, that's front and center. You know, most of our our clients are really roughly between forty, maybe sixty five, and so, you know, I've taken to in our genetic test, we actually have the APOE four gene there. So I'd love for you to talk about that and make some distinctions about cholesterol versus inflammation because you could have elevated cholesterol. The big meta-analysis a long time ago, well, not even that long ago, was you know, obviously showed that people with lower cholesterol didn't fare as well in terms of all-cause mortality as people with slightly elevated cholesterol. So I'd love you to speak into that in terms of what people can do in a protective sense, both 
cardiologically or cardiovascularly and also in terms of Alzheimer's? So, you know, 30% of Americans uh, carry uh, one or both copies of the Alzheimer's gene, the ApoE4 gene, and I think everybody should know that. It is the only known genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's, and according to Dr. Dale Bredesen, who wrote The End of Alzheimer's, my program is the way to eat for prevention of Alzheimer's. And in fact, he teaches my program to all of his patients. Um, having said that, I got interested in it because it's a, that gene is a leading cause of developing cardiac disease as well, coronary artery disease. So if you carry that gene, saturated fats are in general mischievous. And so many people with the ApoE4 gene love cheese. They just think cheese is the best thing in the whole world. And uh, that's one of the worst things for people uh, who carry that gene. And having said that, there's a lot of actually exciting research, getting back to exercise, that I talk about in the longevity paradox. They looked at women and women, believe it or not, have right, far right. more rates of Alzheimer's than men. Everybody assumes that you know women are the stronger sex. They clearly are. But women get Alzheimer's much more than men. So, you know, and women, you know, obviously we're, they're a lot healthier than us, but not in that respect. So they w looked at women who had a an active exercise pro throughout their life. Now we're not talking that they're running marathons, we're not talking that they're doing dance competitions, but whether it's walking the dog, whether it's housework, whether it's gardening. And they looked at women who had an active exercise program versus women who did not have an active exercise program. And what they found was that the women with the active exercise program had a 90% less risk of developing Alzheimer's than the women who didn't exercise. That's huge. 90%. Now, if we had a pill that you could take, you know, 90% reduction in Alzheimer's, you know, boy, would we pay a lot of money for that pill. Uh, number one, there is no pill. Uh, and the other exciting thing, let's suppose you carry that gene. Those women, when they got Alzheimer's, if they got it, happened 11 years later than the women who carried the gene who didn't exercise. Now, I mean, think about that. So we're talking about instead of getting it at 80, you now get it at 91. So, uh, and, you know, if you get it at 91, it's okay. But you've got all of your 80s, which, you know, you're, you're watching your grandchildren, you know, grow up and graduate from college. And wow, you know, 11 years. And that's all you got to do. The other thing that's great news is a study out of Singapore showed that if you ate two cups of mushrooms a week, and that's not a whole lot of mushrooms, particularly if you cook them down, there's not much there. Right. You had a 90% reduction in dementia compared to people who did <coughs> a few cups of mushrooms uh, a week. So there's, That's all, amazing. Yeah. So there's all sorts of things. Uh, I, I, I love to tell the story. I have a 97-year-old gentleman who carries the Alzheimer's gene, who runs his company. He has three daughters. Uh, they do not want him to retire. Uh, we started working with him when he was 90 because they did not want him to retire. And 
He's 97. <laughs> he carries the Alzheimer's gene. I can tell you, he could probably run this country uh, pretty doggone good. Um, <laughs> Does it matter exercise-wise if it's aerobic? Are there any studies um, in terms of aerobic versus the you know resistance? Yeah, so not really. In fact, one of the things that I try to convince people is um, I, I actually like high intensity of training, uh, grief. And what I try to do is have people do strength training, but then don't rest between sets. Go That's to the next And you will get your heart rate up better. And there's nothing worse than sitting on a treadmill, you know, well, letting your mind go blank. It's funny. I, I don't do any treadmill work and people ask me, what do you do to get so lean from a cardiovascular standpoint for your weight? And I say, I lift weights faster. And <laughs> really that just gets, you know, and, yeah. and, and exactly what you said, it keeps the body moving. It keeps the body going. Personally, you know, I believe in three components of exercise, stabilization, endurance, and power. And you can combine all three with movement. So if you learn how to sequence them properly and put them in one formation, you get everything you need in about 18 to 22 minutes a day, um, four days a week. And that will get you in incredible physical and mental shape for your daily work. Um, Dr. Gundry, I'd love to sit here and hold you for hours and hours and ask you every question I've ever had, but I know we're pressed a little bit on time. So I, I do want to close this off with, with a question that I have for you. I take a look at what we do as a company and what we do would not be been, we wouldn't be able to do the company that we have 10 years ago because the testing that we have today, the leaps and bounds that this industry has grown in today um, just was not readily available to people. We do genetic testing, we do food intolerance testing, we do different kinds of motion testing to te you know stimulate nerves and see how a person's body moves. And we really start to understand all of these different components and then put them in a systemized coaching program to get them moving forward. Um, that being said, these leaps and bounds in the testing field that we have had over the last five years, and I know you look into this stuff with your business, um, where do you see as you know, someone who leads this industry, where do you see us five years from now or 10 years from now? Where do you see the, the preventative healthcare and wellness industry moving to? I would love to get your Nostradamus look into the future about this. I'm, I'm accused at, at flying at 30,000 feet, although most of us aren't <laughs> flying much anymore. Um, so um, I think uh, so, the more we're personally learning about the interaction with our microbiome and what it does to our fate and our health, uh, I see in the not too distant future, number one, we can now, we can map people's microbiome. I quite frankly think that that is at the current status, a waste of time because your microbiome changes daily depending on what you eat and depending on what you do in terms of movement. But we're beginning to realize that this is, the microbiome is an incredible ecology, much like a tropical rainforest. And all those creatures, all a hundred trillion uh, 
over 10,000 different species all interconnect and they actually all are dependent on each other. They actually talk to each other. They actually, it's called quorum sensing. A bunch of bacteria, uh, you know, send out text messages that there's going to be a rave party and they all meet, and they all meet up. And so what I think is going to happen is we're going to have tailored antibiotic uh, probiotics, which are friendly bacteria and tailored mycobiotics, which are fungi, and we're going to have tailored prebiotics that those various guys need to make that gut ecology work for that individual. And it's, it's not that far away that we'll be able to prescribe a cocktail of natural ingredients. We're not talking about pharmaceutical ingredients. Yeah, sure. That will individualize, you know, hey, you you want a microbiome that's going to make you smarter, that's going to make you mellower, that's going to get rid of your anxiety. Here's what we need to do. Hey, you want a microbiome that keeps your hair gorgeous as you get older and your skin is beautiful? Here's what we're going to do. You want a microbiome that prevents developing coronary artery disease? Here's what we're going to do. And I actually think that that's very close to happening. Well, I'm in. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's natural anti-aging at its finest, right? And, and that's yeah, and really what we're all after here. Well, I, I, I do not like the term anti-aging. I like the term de-aging. I think it is actually quite possible to de-age and that's what I want and you know you look actually at pictures of me from 11 years ago that I posted on the internet and I actually most people think at least I'm I haven't aged but some people think I actually look younger than 11 years ago so what the heck yeah no it's 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 fascinating you and know, I'm certainly younger than I was 20 odd years ago when I started this I was you know I was a big fat guy <laughs> No, and, and I love that, the fact that you came from a medical background, you were overweight yourself, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm a huge believer of do it yourself before you can preach it. And, and you know, of one. Yeah, exactly. So, we, you know, Dr. Gundry, I really want to thank you for coming on our show. This has truly been an honor. You've given me a 50 minute crash course on the, you know, gut and uh, everything that has to do with it. and. Um, I love your book, and for our listeners, or a lot of our listeners are physicians in the New York area, um, please pick up this school of thought, of thinking, um, look outside the box a little bit, and pick up Dr. Gundry's books, uh, it's his newest one, the longevity book, and really understand um, how all of these different natural techniques can help change the body from a preventative standpoint. And uh, maybe we won't be inside this COVID-19 type of mess hitting us the way it has if we are prepared better personally and in turn as a society. Well, there's actually some very interesting research that people who have uh, a good microbiome and a good immune system and no leaky gut will not develop uh, coronavirus to any extent. And there's a paper out this weekend confirming what I've been preaching for so long, 
that people with low vitamin D levels have much worse outcomes with the COVID virus. People with higher vitamin D levels have much better outcomes. So please, everybody, get your vitamin D level up. Take some. Sunlight alone will not do it. Absolutely. Big believer in that as well. Dr. Gundry, thank you so much. It really is an honor. And uh, we really do enjoy having you on. And hopefully we can do a 2.0 at this some point down the line when you come out with the energy paradox and see where that goes. Um, so thanks, Dr. Gundry. Again, we truly appreciate it. If you, if you guys have any questions about this, please feel free to contact us, um, support or info at Helix and Gene. And Dr. Gundry is all over the internet and his books are everywhere. He needs no introduction. Um, so uh, thanks again. And uh, please pick, make sure to pick up the book, The Longevity Paradox. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you again.